Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is titled, Unlikely Heroes. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. In 1985, the ABC Television Network launched a new action-adventure series called MacGyver. The show followed the missions of secret agent Angus MacGyver, played by the mullet-wearing heartthrob Richard Dean Anderson. Ladies, please, try to contain yourself. MacGyver was a unique covert agent because he used his mind instead of machine guns and science instead of strength to defeat the bad guys. Episodes of the popular show taught America that a Swiss Army knife, a foil gum wrapper, and a paper clip uh, were really all that you need to get out of a tight situation or a bind. Although the show only lasted for seven seasons, it left a lasting impact on our culture. Uh, before MacGyver uh, came along, science was boring and for nerds. Uh, but after MacGyver, science was cool and could be used in everyday life to solve everyday problems. And before MacGyver, Americans used a term known as Jimmy Rig whenever they needed to repair something with any resources available. And I've always wondered who Jimmy was and where that came from. But after MacGyver, uh, we began using the phrase, just MacGyver it. Uh, I've heard that a few times over the last few years. But there's another simple transcendent truth, I think, uh, that helped the show resonate with American viewers, and it's this. Uh, MacGyver reminds us that little things can make a difference. This morning I'd like to introduce you to someone who figured out this timeless truth long before MacGyver did. So I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're continuing our series in the Hall of Faith called Unlikely Heroes this morning. And as you turn there, if you forgot your Bible, just raise your hand and one of our ushers can bring one to you. We've got plenty of Bibles that we can loan out. And it's also, you to turn there, let me just uh, bring some of you up to speed maybe that have been gone for a couple of weeks uh, on what the book of Hebrews is about. It was written... Uh, to a group of Jewish converts, uh, a group of believers that were former Jews. And they had repented of their sin and trusted Christ for their salvation. However, they were struggling to keep their new faith because many of their fellow Christ followers were being jailed and killed for uh, their faith. And so uh, here in chapter 11, the author of Hebrews urges all Christ followers to continue uh, in the faith, by faith, and he does so by, in essence, playing a highlight film of past heroes and their accomplishments, and um, who tr- heroes that trusted the Lord in the Old Testament through difficult circumstances. And so for this reason, Hebrews chapter 11 is commonly referred to as the Hall of Faith. Our theme verse for this series is Hebrews 11, verse 6. If you haven't underlined it in your Bible, I want to encourage you to do so. It's a very important verse. Let's read it out loud together. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And we learned in week one of this series that faith is simply believing the word of God and acting upon it, no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. So it's more than an intellectual understanding of who God is and what he desires from his people. Uh, Living faith is acting upon or applying that knowledge and loving obedience to the one who has loved us like no one else. This is why I think verse 6 says living faith is pleasing to the Lord because as I shared last week, living faith complements the Lord and so the Lord commends living faith. This is because living faith is our agreement with what God has said about himself. It's, it's, it's us already affirming what God knows about himself. It's our affirmation that God is who he says he is and will do what he said he's going to do. And one of the most difficult times to exercise this kind of faith is when no one else does. Thus, our big idea for today is this, the sermon in a sentence, living faith enables us to walk by faith when no one else does. Living faith enables us to walk by faith when no one else does. Reading through Hebrews chapter 11 sort of feels like watching the popular TV game show Jeopardy. You might remember the format of the show. The host gives an answer to which contestants are supposed to provide the question that goes with the answer so they can win prize money. In chapter 11 here, the author of Hebrews seems to give this answer. You can persevere by faith because the hall of faith did. The question that I think came from the audience he's writing to was probably something like this. How is it possible to persevere as a believer when it is so difficult and costs us so much? That's a very fair and honest question, isn't it? And so I think the author of Hebrews is answering that question in this chapter. And so as the author takes us on a guided tour through the Hall of Faith, we stop at the next statue, the statue of a man named Enoch. And so if you would, look at Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 and then verse 5. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. And then skip down to verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now here's just a few observations before we dig in a little further about Enoch and who this mysterious guy is. Taken up that you see there in verse 5 in your Bible uh, comes from a Greek word that means to translate, to transpose, or to change. In in other words, 
Enoch was transported from earth to heaven in the twinkling of an eye. Just gone. In order to understand what's being said here, the author then writes the next phrase, so that he should not see death. See, because if we had just read taken up, the first thought would have come to our mind is, well, he, got, he must have died. He must die. But the author of Hebrews says, no, 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 he didn't die. He did not die. So death can be eliminated from our list of possibilities in trying to figure out what happened to this man. Did you know that Enoch is only one of two people in the Bible that avoided death? The other is Elijah. You can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 2. So then the author continues, he says, and by the way, he was not found. The original language uses uh, the imperfect passive tense of the verb. Now, I share that because it's important. It means this. He was not found in verse 5 could be rendered this way. And he was still not found. So, so please pay attention to this because I don't want you to miss this. The author is telling us people searched a long time for Enoch, but nobody could find him. He was never found. Not a year later, not 10 years later. Never. Why? Because God had taken him, it says in the text. Now, for all of you Star Trek fans out there, just think of it like this. Enoch was beamed up way before his funeral, and that means the Lord invented uh, transportation like this before Gene Roddenberry ever thought it up. So um, that's just my desperate attempt to try and help you visualize what happened here. Okay? Now, notice in verse 5 it says, Before he was taken, though, he was commended as having pleased God. Uh, there's that word again. It's repeated a few times in the ESV translation. That word, you might remember, means uh, to recognize or to reward meritorious behavior. It's, it's used in verse 2, in verse 4, in verse 5. The Lord commended him. Just like soldiers in our armed forces that receive the Medal of Honor, Enoch just like Abel, and just like the others in the Hall of Faith, was commended by God. Now, if we were to read just this single verse, uh, Hebrews 11 and 5, all by itself, we'd be left with the question, well, what, what did this guy do that pleased the Lord? And Well, let's flip back to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, where we find four verses about Enoch, that help us understand a little more why he was given this medal of honor by the Lord. Genesis chapter 5. And I'm going to read verses 21 to 24. Moses writes in Genesis 5.21, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. 
Did you see the repeated phrase there? Enoch walked with God. Now the text doesn't tell us much about Enoch's family, his occupation, his socioeconomic status. We, we really we don't know. But all we can see is that he was a descendant of Adam. He was the great-grandfather of Noah. That comes out at the beginning of chapter 6, which we'll get to in a minute. And Enoch's name, with the help of a Hebrew and Greek dictionary, his name means dedicated. See, Enoch is another example of personal names in the Bible that either describe the person or forecast how God's going to use the person. He was dedicated to the Lord. Now Moses, who was the author of Genesis, tells us that the most noticeable and most memorable characteristic of Enoch was that he walked with God. And for this reason, verse 24, look at your Bible again, Genesis 5.24 says, And he was not, for God took him. The Hebrew text implies that God gave Enoch a pass on death. It appears that God was so pleased with how Enoch lived that he spared him from living the rest of his life in a fallen world, spared him from seeing his body deteriorate, and spared him from having to experience the pain of death. One of the best explanations I've heard of this mysterious disappearance comes uh, mysterious disappearance, excuse me, comes from the mouth of a little boy in a Sunday school class who said this, "Enoch was walking with God one day, and one day they walked so far that God said, "Enoch, we're closer to my house than to yours, so why don't you just come home with me?" <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes, right? But before we leave Genesis 5, There are two observations I want to point out that um, I I think are very important to mention. First is uh, we we need to make sure we don't miss the fact that Enoch walked with God in a dark time. This should dispense with the myth that it's more difficult to walk with the Lord today than it ever has been. There are people that like to say that. Oh, man, it's... I wish for the good old days when so-and-so was president or back when I was in school. Man, you know. No. I think if you study the scriptures and you study history, every generation had its own temptations, its own challenges. It's always been hard to walk with the Lord. In fact, skip with me, if you would, in your Bibles down to Genesis 6, and and, and let's look at verses 5 through 8. Genesis 6, 5 through 8. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So you see, the spiritual decay of man didn't start with Noah's generation. It started right after the fall in Genesis 3. Things were getting bad before Noah showed up, and Enoch was Noah's great-grandfather. So 
what we see, I think, is that Enoch was taken up by the Lord because he was one of the only people on earth walking with the Lord. And by the time Noah was born in Genesis 6, the Lord finally said, I have had enough. I'm starting all over. And as we'll learn in a couple of weeks when we study Noah, the Lord basically wipes out everything on the earth with the great flood. He saves Noah's family, key animals, and then starts over again. And then the Lord promises never to blot out man again like that. But it gives us a sense of how much God hates sin and how prevalent sin was on the earth and how bad it was. Now, just to be clear, the Lord isn't saying he, would, he should never have made man. Instead, he's saying that he created man to be in an intimate relationship with him, but man continues to choose sin instead. This should raise Enoch's spiritual stock in our eyes because it's a reminder in context, and context is king when you're studying the scriptures, it, it, you look at here's what's going on in the earth, on the earth, and Enoch pleased God. He walked with God in a time when very few, if any, did. So Enoch walked with God in a dark time. Here's a, another key observation I think we need to make sure we capture, and that is that Enoch walked with God alone. He walked with God alone. I think it's a safe inference to make here because there is no indication in the verses about him that, that his family was walking with the Lord. I think if they were walking with the Lord, I think they would have been taken up too. But the Lord didn't take Enoch's family. He only took Enoch. The longer I'm in ministry, the more convinced I'm becoming that one of the reasons we have fewer and fewer godly men and women in the Lord's church is that most believers are unwilling to accept the occasional loneliness that comes with godliness. You see, an often overlooked truth in the Hall of Faith is that most of its members experienced prolonged seasons of loneliness. I think Enoch did. Noah did. Abraham, Moses, David, just to name a few. We know from the Gospels that Jesus did. We know from Paul's writings that he did experience loneliness. This subtle truth from the scriptures, it's not popular, not often talked about, but it's there. This is, it inspired A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, to, to write this. Loneliness seems to be the one price the saint must pay for his saintliness. We'll talk more about this later, but if you can grasp that truth, it will help you tremendously when you come upon situations in, which, in life which you have to choose. Am I going to go with the crowd or am I going to please the Lord? And if I choose to please the Lord, it means I'm going to be by myself. 
Hopefully, you'll choose the Lord. Now, Enoch's induction into the Hall of Faith shows us that God places a high value on walking with him and that we don't necessarily have to do something famous to be commended by God. Because in one sense, what Enoch did was ordinary. I mean, he just walked with the Lord. In another sense, you could say it was extraordinary because he did it in very dark times. But the word walk, interestingly, is used, uh, in, when I, the Bible search engine I used online found walk used at least 133 times throughout the Bible. And it's used to describe the activities or qualities of people who had a close relationship with the Lord. Now, during the rest of our time together, I'd like to survey a few scripture passages with you so that we can figure out what people did who walked with the Lord. And hopefully that'll give us some clues into what Enoch did and why the Lord was so fond of him. And so with that, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. So go all the way to the, towards the end of the Bible and the end of the New Testament. 1 John chapter 2. And in 1 John 2, I'm going to read verses 3 through 6. John was the last living apostle, and he, he wrote um, his letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, in the sunset of his life between 90 to 95 A.D. And he writes this, starting in chapter 2, verse 3. And by this we know we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So here's, here's number one on your outline. The first truth that I think we can glean from the scriptures or clue as far as what, what do people who know Jesus or walk with Jesus, what do they do? Well, Simply put, faith heroes walk with Jesus. I mean, they, I'll explain a little more what that means, but that's number one. Faith heroes walk with Jesus. What John is saying here is that walking with Christ is something only believers can do, and it should be the only thing believers want to do if everything else is taken away from them in life. And he's saying walking with Jesus proves whether you are a believer or not. So it doesn't matter what you profess. It doesn't matter if you profess to have prayed a prayer and received Christ as your Savior. If you're not walking with Jesus, and that's proven over time, John says, then you don't know him. Because people that know Jesus walk with Jesus. There are many that know about Jesus, but there are few who actually know him. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 7, you can just jot this down in the margin of your notes, just read it for yourself uh, tomorrow during your devotions. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. I'll just read it real quick for you. Jesus said, for the, the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. 
So faith heroes walk with Jesus. Now, what, what does it mean to walk? One of the best definitions I've heard comes from author and pastor Eugene Peterson. Uh, you've heard me probably reference this before. Uh, a walk, I think, could be best succinctly defined as a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. It, it's a way of life characterized by a close relationship with Jesus. It, it's sustained over time. It's a pattern, not an event. Uh, to walk with the Lord means to, to have a relationship with Him in which we are constantly adjusting, submitting, and surrendering to His will. It means that if His Word and His will collide with our will, we are the ones that change. Because we are walking with Him. Walking is not using God to fulfill our dreams or our plans because that would require God walking with us. We walk with him. So Enoch walked with the Lord, and so can we through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now the next thing that people who walk with the Lord do is they, and here's number two in your outline, they, they walk by faith. They walk by faith. And this comes from 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Um, I won't have you turn there for the sake of time, so I'll just read the verse for you. You can look it up later if you want. But 2 Corinthians 5, 7, this is where Paul is trying to encourage the discouraged Corinthians who were also suffering for their faith. And so he wrote them these words. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, I've got to be honest with you and transparent with you because, you know, I've never been before. And uh, it's unfortunate, I think, that this verse has become so cliche in our culture because it diminishes the impact that Paul meant it to have originally. Um, in the surrounding context of 2 Corinthians 5, Paul was reminding the believers in Corinth of the temporary nature of our life here on earth and the hope of eternal life that Jesus provides in the future. And so therefore, Christians are not to be discouraged or distracted by what they see or don't see in front of them because it's not going to last, is what Paul's trying to say. Instead, we're to keep walking by faith, knowing that we'll be with the Lord longer than we'll be down here. And this life will be harder and that one will be easier. Now, I'll be honest with you. I mean, this is easier said than done to walk by faith and not by sight because we would rather walk by sight and not by faith, right? That's okay. You, you don't have to agree with me. I'll just stand up here by myself and admit my own flaws and weaknesses in my walk with the Lord and struggles. That's okay. But here's something I've been learning in my own walk with the Lord in recent years. And I, I don't like to admit this because it's hard to learn it, and, and I wish I had known it sooner. But what I'm learning is that we haven't walked by faith, not by sight, until we keep walking with God, even when we can't see what he's doing, and he's not doing what we've asked. 
I'm going to say that again. I, I don't think we have walked by faith and not by sight until we keep walking with the Lord. Even when we can't see what he's doing and he's not doing what we've asked him. And so, so what, I've, what I'm learning in my own life is that for many years I was walking with the Lord, but I wasn't walking by faith, not by sight, because things were pretty good. <laughs> I really didn't encounter that many situations early in my walk with the Lord that required me to keep walking because I couldn't see what was in front of me. And so what, I, what I'm learning in my own walk with the Lord and studying the scriptures is that living faith kicks in when we can't see what he's doing. It kicks in when he's not doing what we ask him to do. So in essence, we've just started to exercise faith. And the Lord likes that because he's going, okay, now we can grow your faith. See, because you thought you were walking by faith before, and things are easy. You know, it's easy to walk with me when you know what I'm doing, you can see what I'm doing, and things are going well. But faith kicks in when you can't see what he's doing, and he's not doing what you've asked. So living faith enables us to walk by faith when no one else does, and when we can't see what the Lord is doing or where he's leading. Next, if you would, turn back with me to Psalm chapter 1. Psalms chapter 1. Let me show you another quality of, of faith heroes, what people who walk with the Lord do. Psalms chapter 1. And I'm just going to read verses 1 through 3. The psalmist says, Blessed is the man, Psalm 1, 1, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So here's number three, the third quality. The third thing that faith heroes do, they walk in the word. They walk in the word. Notice that the person being described here in Psalm 1 delights in God's word. He or she loves to study it. In contrast to the wicked that are being described, the godly man or woman loves God's word and meditates on it. Uh, the Hebrew word used there for meditate, uh, it's interesting. It means intense study. So it's more than a, a cursory reading of the scriptures or a superficial rock skipping across the lake kind of studying of the scriptures. It's a Instead, it's marinating in God's word and savoring on its morsels so that God's word gets into us. Generally speaking, our knowledge of God's word and application of it is correlated to our intimacy with him. In other words, we cannot know God intimately without knowing his word. It's not possible. And this is because God's word reveals his character, God's word reveals his heart, his love, and his desires for us. Believers who study God's word and apply it, 
They see sin decrease in their life and blessings increase. They will walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. They will gain God's wisdom in their decision making. They will understand the character of God, how he works and how much he loves them. They'll, they'll be encouraged when they're discouraged. Believers that study the scriptures and apply them will also receive comfort when they're hurting. I mean, there's so many blessings that come from knowing God's word. The heroes in this hall of faith were able to walk with God because they chose to walk in his word. And doing so enabled them to keep it together, even when they face tough times. This is probably what inspired one wise man to pen this, this insight. If you see a Bible that's falling apart, it probably belongs to someone who isn't. And by the way, mine's not falling apart because it's new. I'm, just, it's, I'm breaking it in still. I had to get this last year. It's the large print edition, okay? I have other Bibles at home that are falling apart. I can show you. So, so but what, just as your pastor, just want to tell you, I love you and I'm for you and I want to help you in every way I can to walk closely with Jesus. And, and, and there's never been an easier time in church history to get into God's word. We have so many resources available to us now. I mean, you heard me talk a few weeks back about William Tyndale, who sacrificed his very life to translate the Bible into English so that people like us could read it. You didn't have to, you know, because before Tyndale, you had to become a priest and learn Latin in order to read God's Word. Now we can pull it up on a smartphone. So, um, all that to say, if you need suggestions on how to improve your time in the Word throughout the week, I'm always available to help. And I, I, I've got tons of ideas and things I've tried out in my own devotional time that I can suggest. So, uh, faith heroes walk in the word. Next, if you would, just turn over to Psalm chapter 5. Psalm, Psalm chapter 5, and I'll, I'll show you the next quality. People who walk with the Lord, what they do. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 and then verse 8. Psalm 5. This is David writing a prayer out to the Lord. He says, Give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. And then verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Here's the fourth quality of a faith hero. They, they walk in prayer. People who walk with God spend time with him in prayer. King David was a man who walked closely with the Lord, and prayer helped him to stay close to the Lord. He wrote nearly half of the 150 psalms that we see in this book. And although he wrote Psalm 5 on a bad day when he was being pursued by enemies, uh, David also wrote many other prayers when life was good. So he didn't just pray when things were tough. He, he prayed all the time. And he didn't just pray throughout his day. He made a specific time in the morning where he started his day in prayer, where prayer was the only thing he was doing. And then he kept the conversation going through the day. And I'm clarifying that because I have had 
believers over the years try to tell me, oh, oh, yeah, I talk to God all the time while I'm driving in my car listening to ESPN, while I'm doing this, doing that. Doing, like, well, That's fine, but that shouldn't be the only time you talk to him. <laughs> what David models for us is a solitude time at the start of the day when you're doing nothing else and you're calibrating your instruments to be in sync with the Lord. So, in other words, David's prayer life was driven by his relationship with the Lord rather than the circumstances in his life. His circumstances didn't determine whether he prayed. He prayed regardless of his circumstances. Uh, Now, in this particular case, on this particular day, he's struggling. You can see it. He's honest with the Lord. Verse 1, consider my groaning. You feel like groaning with me? It's okay. That was pretty good. And then notice he says, my king and my God. So thus he was submitted to God's authority in his life. And then he says, in the morning... And then he says it again, in the morning. So, so here's what he's trying to tell the Lord. Lord, getting your ear is so important to me, I'm not going to do anything else in my day until I get you. You're first in my day. I'm getting with you first. I will not eat until I hear from you. I will not go out and tend my sheep or do anything else until I get with you in the morning. It's a priority. I'm not putting it off till later in the day. He says the same thing in Psalm 59, verse 16. Psalm 88, verse 13. He says the same thing. In the morning, I seek the Lord. This is important because the men and women who walk closely with the Lord in the Scriptures did not consider starting their day without the Lord conceivable. That's that's what just fascinates me. It just wasn't conceivable to them. Because they could not conceive of trying to live their day without the Lord. Therefore, I think when we choose to skip time with the Lord consistently, I understand life happens. You get a surprise phone call. Kids have an emergency at school. Maybe you got a big diaper change you got to do. That always happened. I remember Maya talking about that. Oh, man, my devotions got ruined this morning because there was a diaper blowout. And, you know, and I've had situations where I'm doing my devotions in the church office and I get an emergency call. I'm like, oh, man, bummer. But it happens. However, what I'm saying is that if you choose to skip your devotional time with the Lord consistently, you're saying, Lord, I don't need you during the day. I got this. And then what's funny is I find that the Lord, when he reminds you, you don't got this, we get angry with him. So in the morning. And then notice in verse 8, David submitted to God's leading in his life. So lead me, O Lord, and make your way straight before me. Notice he's, he wants to know how he can please the Lord. So David hasn't gone to prayer with his mind made up about what he wants to do. Instead, he goes to prayer wanting the Lord to determine what he will do. In his helpful book, uh, Intimacy with the Almighty, uh, author Chuck Swindoll 
explains the importance of having a routine time of solitude, prayer, and Bible study in the morning with the Lord. He says, we are commanded to stop, rest, relax, to let go and make time for him. Knowing God deeply and intimately requires such discipline. Prayer sharpens the keen edge of our souls. It sensitizes us to those ever so slight nudgings from our Heavenly Father. Whereas frenzied, hectic schedules dull our senses and they close our ears to his still, small voice, making us numb to his touch. So living living faith enables us to walk by faith when no one else does. And those that walk with the Lord, they make time for prayer with him. Finally, if you would turn to Hebrews chapter 10, the... The last thing, and this is, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list, but I tried to just pick the top five things that I saw out of the 133 times walk is mentioned in the Bible. Here's kind of the top five I could see. Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to read verses 23 to 25. Let us hold fast. The confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's the fifth quality of a faith hero that walks with the Lord. They, they walk in fellowship. They walk in fellowship. Many of you know that Hebrews 10, 25 is the, the theme verse for our small group ministry. And what the author of Hebrews is, he's, what he's doing here is he's making an assumption that we must be careful not to overlook. And that assumption is that we cannot do verse 23. You see verse 23? Hold fast to the confession of our hope. He's saying we can't do that by ourselves. We, we need to be in fellowship with other believers. We cannot hold fast to the truths of the gospel by faith without having other Christ followers to help us. Then he says in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up. It's a fascinating word in the original language. It means to provoke or to sharpen or to stimulate. Some translations render it spur, others uh, another way. But um, just as a cowboy would stimulate a horse to giddy up with his spurs, God's word says we need other believers in our lives that can lovingly encourage us and spur us on in the faith. And this is because no one can reach their full potential in Christ by themselves. In order to grow, we have to give permission to other people to speak into our lives. Sadly, though, in verse 25, notice how the author of Hebrews says, some have neglected doing this. They've, they've chosen to do other things with their time. They They've chosen not to be in community and fellowship with other believers. And it's become a habit, it says in verse 25. I think he uses the word neglect because he's trying to convey it's detrimental to your spiritual health to be so busy that you can't be in a small group or be in closer relationships with other believers. So, 
living faith enables us to walk by faith when no one else does, but the Lord never intended us to walk by faith alone. If you're not yet in a small group here at Vanguard, I'd love to help you find one. Well, there are numerous applications that I think we could glean from the passages that we looked at today. and The Holy Spirit may give you some other ones. Here's two that I thought of that I hope will stimulate your thinking a little bit. Uh, but again, I want to encourage you to pray over these verses and write down anything else the Lord might be telling you, hey, you need to deal with this. So here's the first one. Um, walk with the Lord while you still can. Walk with the Lord while you still can because no believer knows when they'll be called home and no unbeliever knows when they'll be called to give an account. So, so for the believer, Enoch is a reminder to stay close to the Lord so that you won't be ashamed when you stand before him. And that could be tomorrow because none of us are promised tomorrow. It's, it, for the believer, it's a reminder not to play games with God. Like, Lord, I'm upset that you're not doing what I want you to do, so therefore I'm going to punish you, Lord, by not walking with you. That's the kind of crazy thinking that sinners have. For the unbeliever, Enoch is another reminder to repent of your sins and to trust in Christ alone for your salvation, so you won't be banished to hell when you stand before the Lord. Because again, none of us knows when we're going to die. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried and raised on the third day so that those who do not know him could receive the gifts of eternal life, forgiveness, and peace with him. So we must live as though we only have today. Next, the second application that came to my mind is uh, walk with the Lord even when no one else will. Walk with the Lord even when no one else will. One of the litmus tests of our faith is whether we're willing to walk with the Lord when there are no believers around. See, this reveals whether we're willing to be a light for Christ when we're surrounded by darkness, and it reveals whether we're leaning too heavily on the fellowship and wanting to just fit in with whatever crowd we're running with. Enoch's faith is a reminder that it's possible to please the Lord when we have no fellowship. So shouldn't we be able to stand for the Lord? Say for part of the week when you're around unbelievers at the office or at the factory or in the field. Or maybe when you're with classmates or maybe you're with unbelieving family. I mean, if Enoch can do it, we can do it, right? So walk with the Lord while you still can, and walk with the Lord when no one else will. And again, perhaps the Lord will give you some additional applications for your life. Well, uh, I want to just close by telling you a story about a man who walked with the Lord when no one else would. And he did so imperfectly. Because I realized when I was preparing this message, some of you may hear this message and feel like you can just never walk good enough. And I want you to know the Lord sees that. He is not expecting perfection. 
And I hope this story about this saint will remind you of that. William Carey was a Baptist missionary from England who many consider the father of modern-day missions. The Lord gave him a burden for overseas missions at a time when most churches had become apathetic to winning souls for Christ. In the 1790s, Carey packed up his pregnant wife and three kids and headed off to India. His first several years in India were extremely difficult. I was reading some of his biography online last night. I don't have time to tell you everything, but here's just a snippet of some of the challenges he faced. He struggled to provide for his family, and they lived in poverty the first several years that they were in India. Uh, His family was afflicted with numerous illnesses. They were lonely, and they had regrets about moving to a strange land. He preached the gospel in India for seven years before he saw his first convert. Things got even more difficult for Carrie when he contracted malaria and his five-year-old son died of dysentery. This caused then his wife's mental health to decline so rapidly that she had to be confined to a room and restrained. Despite these immense trials, William Carey was able to serve the Lord in India for a total of 41 years. That's some perseverance, isn't it? During that time, he translated the Bible into each of India's major languages. He led 700 people to faith in Christ and helped start a Bible college and inspired a new generation of missionaries that followed him. Now, like most missionaries at the time, Carey kept a journal, which he wrote in during his good days and bad days. He would share just recording his thoughts and prayers to the Lord in his journal. And there's one particular thought that he recorded on one particular tough day that has encouraged countless believers over the years. And recently I stumbled upon it and it encouraged me too. So I hope it encourages you. Carey wrote this. If he, meaning the Lord, give me credit for being a plotter, he will describe me justly. Anything beyond that will be too much. I can plod. I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this I owe everything. Meaning his call to the ministry. Plod obviously means to stumble. But what he was trying to say is that my, my walk is not perfect and I have struggled to follow the Lord, but the Lord can give me credit, though, for plodding and stumbling and tripping. But he didn't stop moving with the Lord. And so living faith enables us to walk by faith when no one else does. And I wish you could just MacGyver it, but you can't. There's no shortcuts. But you can plod when you need to. And the Lord will honor that. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, 
we first just want to start by thanking you for desiring a relationship with us. We're, we, we are what was described in, in Genesis 6. We're, we're born rebellious, selfish, desiring to have dominion over our own lives. And yet you still love us. So thank you, Lord, for not giving up on us. Thank you, Lord, for that truth that we sang earlier, that your, your love is steadfast and everlasting. Lord, I just want to pray, first of all, for any that might be here that have not yet started walking with you because they don't know your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, please, would you reveal Christ to them? Would you show them their sin, and would you show them your great love? And would you, Lord, bring them to repentance and faith in Christ so they can begin a relationship with you? And, Lord, I want to I pray for those that maybe have um, they've been walking with you and things have gone well. They, they really haven't had a season yet where they... They had to, where they have to walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, please, would you just prepare them? Because we know it's going to come. Would you prepare them, Lord, for that? Would you, would you help them to, to grow roots in their walk with you that go deep so that when the winds come, like we saw the other day, they're not knocked over? Father, I want to pray for those that right now are plotting. They're trying to walk with you, but it's a struggle. Uh, the weight that they're carrying, the burdens that they're dealing with are overwhelming. Their limbs are weak. In many days, it feels like they're hanging on by a thread. Father, please. Strengthen them by your grace and by your spirit. Help them, Lord, and draw them close to you. Help them to see what you're doing in their lives. Help them to see that you're working for good. And we thank you, Lord, for men like William Carey and men like Enoch who have shown us that it is possible to walk by faith in a dark world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.